Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And in something that certainly I maybe didn't expect last week, the Green Bay Packers are continuing through the NFL playoffs with a somewhat impressive 35-18 to victory over the Washington Redskins. And Matt... The Packers won. We were skeptical of their ability to win this game last week. And twofold, I guess, in my response to that is certainly I'm relieved. And seeing the way they kind of handled the Redskins, I feel a little bit foolish for believing in Washington and doubting the Packers' ability to beat a somewhat mediocre team. Yeah, I suppose you're right there. I I know they didn't play many great teams down the stretch in Washington, but, I mean, they were still beating up on some people, too. I mean, their offense looked pretty dynamic. So, although I think that this is probably the worst defense we'd faced in mm-hmm. quite some time, and I think that became apparent yesterday during the game, too, just watching it. I'm, I'm still shocked that they did what they did. It's still, despite it being a bad defense, it's, it seemed like something that this offense wasn't capable of doing, and the defense was just dominant. Yeah, the the defense was probably the biggest surprise because, as you mentioned, Washington had scored 24, 35, 38, and 34 points in their last four games. Kirk Cousins has played as well as anybody in the NFL over the last half of the season, and the Packers really shut them down, and they did it without Sam Shields. They lost Quentin Rollins early, so they were running out of cornerbacks, and they have Pierre Garçon, and they have... um uh, Jackson, Deshaun Jackson, for some reason I couldn't, I was wanted to call him Devontae Jackson for a second there. We'll talk about the Devontae in a while, but the fact that they could not have Sam Shields, I thought without Shields that Devont, oh, I almost did again, Deshaun Jackson was going to run all over the Packers, and as you can see by my inability to remember his name, he was a complete afterthought in that game and was shut down by whoever they had against him. Jordan Reed provided some matchup problems, but certainly not as much as was feared going into this game. That defense looked Super Bowl caliber yesterday. It definitely did. And, um, you know, like you said, with some of their receivers, they've got a lot of speed. And, and Shields is kind of that speed negator, a guy that you think could maybe shut down Deshaun Jackson. But uh, we, we kind of did the opposite of the Patriots scheme where you shut down their most effective thing and let everything else beat you. We basically allowed Jordan Reed to run rip shot over us <laughs> and then completely shut down the run game and the receivers did nothing. Yeah, and Deshaun Jackson had the one play that he ended up having another huge blunder in his career, and Garcon and the other speedsters out there didn't do anything all day long. So, yeah, I mean, great pass rush, great run stuffing, everything was just awesome, other than the one tight end getting you. I mean, you shut down everything else. Yeah, and in Jackson's defense, I don't think it was that egregious of an error. He just put the ball maybe in the wrong hand. I mean, certainly he could have made the effort to put it over the goal line. Yeah, all you got to do is reach. Yeah, but even step a foot down in the end zone. But who expects the Packers to hold one foot of ground? I mean, that's certainly not something that we've come right. to expect. You're not playing against, you know, the Steelers or or Cincinnati or the Jets or some team that have had really good defenses over the last five years. The Packers have had flashes, but for the most part, who didn't think first and goal from the one foot line was going to be a touchdown for the Redskins? Yeah, and when they overturned it, I was like, whatever, who cares? Yeah. And then, and then it ends up, you know, you see the first couple, and you're like, oh, my God. Like, they're just flying to the ball and looking incredible right now. And B.J. Raji and Daniels were awesome, and mm-hmm. and Jake Ryan was, was fantastic. He looked great yesterday, probably having his best game. And just everybody overall, especially the front seven, and everybody who played there was just great. Yeah, just destroying people one-on-one in their matchups. And, yeah, the fact that Raji and Daniels are able to rush the passer from the middle, a lot of times with almost no other support just from... bulldozing people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Raji that much. He had that one play where he just completely destroyed his guy. I forget if it was a tackle on a run loss or a sack, but mm-hmm. I, I, I don't remember specifically if you do, but he just blew somebody up and then made a play. Yeah, I remember that play, but I feel like it was coming from the inside. But, yeah, I just remember seeing, holy cow, I haven't seen Raji do that in five years. And Daniels had one that looked just like it. Draft that they were showing as when he was a prospect <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much what it looked like. And Nick Perry looking like Clay Matthews equivalent for a while yesterday, just completely destroying guys one on one. And yeah, it was awesome. And at first, I was thinking, well, they're the the Redskins and. They, they have a good offense, but who knows? Five sacks, I don't know what that means. Washington gave up the fifth fewest sacks in the NFL, and they gave up the same number of sacks as the Arizona Cardinals. So perhaps that's something to be encouraged about for next week. 
Yeah, absolutely. The other big story, the Green Bay Packers were the highest scoring team that played this weekend, scoring 35 points against the Washington Redskins. Now, in um, an effort to maybe pull back some enthusiasm and mainly to dissuade anyone from using R-E-L-A-X today because, of course, I saw tons of memes with that returning, mostly in... Yeah, all over the place, mostly in response to the you like that Kirk Cousins stuff. Um, we can get into that later. But the teams that played on Wild Card Weekend, Seattle had the second best defense, Houston third best, the Kansas City Chiefs sixth best, the Bengals 11th, the Vikings 13th, the Packers 15th, and the Washington Redskins 28th. So there may be a reason why the Packers scored more than any of the other playoff teams. Pittsburgh 21, uh, but they're playing a team with their backup quarterback. Yeah, and I don't think it's a big shock. I, I guess I didn't know they were 28th. I knew they weren't great. Their, I mean, their front seven wasn't too bad, but their secondary was pretty horrible. And they allowed our guys, and I don't know if, you know, better game planning or just the fact that it was a bad secondary, but we had guys open yesterday, which is the first time that's been the case in three months. Yeah. So, I, I mean, Rodgers still missed a lot of throws. But regardless, he put up 35 points on the board. I mean, that's a good day. And if anything, it just maybe gives him a little bit of confidence that, mm-hmm. you know, if he sees guys getting open, he's maybe willing to take some more shots. And if he's just not off a little bit, even like he still was yesterday, I mean, they could have a chance next week. Yeah, and I heard him talk after the game, and he sounded supremely confident. Yeah. And the first thing I thought was one of the criticisms we've always had of this team is how quick they are to pat themselves on the back. And at first, I'm like, well, this team, gosh, they're delusional, and now they're going to puff their chest. And then I thought, maybe we want them to do that. Yeah, they might need that right now. Yeah, and luckily, the flip side is they're still going to be massive underdogs. Um, they opened as a touchdown underdog to the Arizona Cardinals. I haven't checked since this morning, but there were reports that they, the lead or the favorite uh, spread for Arizona had swelled to 7.5 or 8.5, and... A half, and Real quick, I had this stat. I didn't know when I was going to share it, but there's only been seven other times that the Green Bay Packers have been a touchdown or more underdog in their history, and those were at Dallas in 93 as a 13.5-point underdog. It's the biggest one I could find. 2001 at St. Louis, 11-point underdog, 94 at Dallas, 10, uh, 95 at San Francisco, 9.5, 95 at Dallas, 9 points. These are all playoff games, right? These are all playoff games, yeah. Yeah, I didn't do regular season. Uh, 2014 at Seattle, they were a 8.5-point underdog, and in 1982 at the Cowboys, they were a touchdown underdog. The historians that we have might get a little nervous hearing me read off those games because we won one of those six, and we got destroyed in several of them. (laughs) But, you know, it's a different NFL than it was today. The fact that... Four of those games were at Dallas, one against a really good Landry team, and then against the triplet-era Dallas Cowboys with the not-quite-great Packer team. Um, so it's a little bit skewed because they played so many times at Dallas at Dallas's peak. But, yeah, maybe they need that a little bit, I guess, is going back to the original point we made 35 minutes ago. <laughs> right, right. Well, it, they just have kind of come across as maybe a little timid and definitely very frustrated lately. So, you know, I saw everybody in the world posting on Facebook how happy they were to see Aaron Rodgers smiling yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And um, it was a little cheesy, I guess, but, I, you know, that's that's true. I mean, that's something we haven't seen. And just the fact that he looked like he was maybe having fun and had some guys he could actually throw to mm-hmm. was a good sign for us. And I think if anybody needs confidence, it's, it might be simple to say this, but I think it's definitely him. I think as excited as I've gotten for a lame play in a while happened on the two-point conversion. I shouldn't say a lame play, but a relatively routine play. The fact that Aberderis whooped a guy one-on-one. On a slant, nonetheless. On a slant, yeah. He actually made a break and then a second move, and it was unbelievable. It was... Granted, there was nobody on the inside, but uh, I was talking to my boss this morning, and I I brought that up, how excited I was that Aberderis whooped a guy at the line, but was trying to hamper my enthusiasm because there was nobody over the top. He's like, well, they haven't gotten to the point where the guy over the top matters because the one-on-one coverage has been a blanket. So the fact that we got that small victory was huge, and... When Devontae Adams scored that touchdown, the first thing I thought was, wow, what a blown coverage. And then they showed the replay, and it's like, oh, no, that was a route. It was a good route. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, amazing. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, back to your first point about Aberderis, if you're a receiver who's anywhere decent, you should be able to beat a guy in a slant one-on-one unless he's completely crowding the inside. So, I mean, it wasn't the most miraculous of routes, but it's just something we haven't seen at all. Yeah. So, it, I mean, that was great. And then Devontae, and um, as we talked a little bit about you and I yesterday, Randall Cobb looked explosive for the yes. first time in a long time. And although I don't think his yard statistics ended up being anything outrageous, just some of the plays he made, some of the catches he made, actually making somebody miss now and then, they've been trying to run their offense through him basically all year. And this is the first time it looked like you might actually want to do that because he was, he looked really athletic and looked kind of like Cobb from last year. Yeah, amazingly, he only had three catches for 38 yards, which mm-hmm. is nuts. But he had five carries for 24 yards. All were pretty productive. Um, so... Yeah, he he looked like the dynamic weapon that we thought he could be. And really nobody had that great of a game uh, as far as, you know, anything that's historic from a statistical perspective. Even Aaron Rodgers was still 22 of 36 for 210 yards. That's a lot of attempts for 210 yards. I think it was ended up being a 93 quarterback rating. He had uh, two touchdown passes, but it was kind of what I was asking for last week, saying that much like the 96 Packers, you don't need 500 yards. You just have to make some key plays. And still, even with what they were at, they still were only 3-11 and on third down, but it seemed like once they got rolling, they didn't hit a lot of third downs. They were converting it before that, and they kept drives going. They scored on five straight drives. They did it any way they could. Uh, Starks and Lacey each had 12 carries, so they were the balanced, dynamic attack without any superstar performances, which is essentially what the 96 Packers cruised to a Super Bowl championship. Yeah, and you love seeing 32 carries for 141 and two touchdowns, too. I think that's huge. So mm-hmm. it, it didn't feel overly successful, but when you look at the numbers today, I mean, you're over four yards a pop there. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think that's huge. Like you said, completely balanced. Everything worked pretty well after that first quarter, which was a disaster. And I think everybody thought we were going to see the same old thing and probably get blown out. And then whatever happened, you know, maybe a big play, there's something just clicked in the second quarter. And it just mm-hmm. was like first half of the season, Packers all over again. Yeah, I feel like I'd have to go back and watch it. But it felt like the play that really clicked for them was they hit that deep pass to James Jones. Yeah. And I joked on Twitter, I... I was worried that James Jones was going to fall off the end of the world because I've never seen what happens left of the screen for the Green Bay Packers recently. But let's talk about that start because it means two things to me. One, that despite how down this team had to be offensively, with giving up a safety and just being pathetic, they gained 11 yards in the first 13 plays or something, and that was on one 11-yard catch by James Jones. So for them to be that down, and that coming after two months of terrible play on offense, for them to be able to still maintain their composure and show the experience that they have on the road against an eager playoff opponent, they were able to flip the switch and then score 35 unanswered points, or, or 35 to 7, so not unanswered, but you know, completely dominating from that point. So that shows a tremendous resolve and a lot to the character of this team. The flip side is, if they start that way in Arizona, they're not going to have a chance to come back because they're going to get buried. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but but to your point, I mean, we saw everything basically from the last two months summarized in a quarter. I mean, you saw nobody getting open, the run game getting stuffed, the offensive line getting whooped and Treader on that safety getting bulldozed, and then Roger getting sacked for a safety while holding the ball and then getting up and complaining. Yeah. Like, it was literally <laughs> yeah. everything that's been going wrong in a quarter. And then all of a sudden, for everybody on the team to see that happening, and then the, I think the defense kind of picked them up too because they were making plays. And, you know, the offense has got to be like, man, we got to do something here. Yeah. And it just started rolling and rolling and rolling. And that, like you said, that better carry over to the first quarter next week. I think they've got a shot, but if you're down 10 nothing to Arizona, you're probably not coming back. Yeah, and maybe that goal line stand by the defense was yeah. what kind of created that momentum. Because maybe you're right, and we were talking about that when we were texting to one another, that, gosh, if... This defense deserves better, and this offense needs to recognize that this is the defense that they've been wishing for for five years, and it's right in front of them. So rise up and find a way to get it done. You don't have to score 55 points like you were in the middle of last season or like you were in 2011. Get 25. Get 24, and you're going to win more often than not with this defense. You know, even thinking of the debacle in Arizona, that was from two Aaron Rodgers fumbles returned for touchdowns. That defense gave up 24 points. 
and maybe going back, you could maybe take a few more of those points away if, if I rewatch the game, but... I think that going forward, hopefully they'll start faster against Arizona, and I'm hoping that seeing how much the Seahawks struggled against Minnesota, a team they didn't play well against at Lambeau, but moved the ball against very effectively in Minnesota, and then one week prior to that, the Seahawks lit up the Arizona Cardinals. Whether or not they were motivated or not, it has to at least dent the invincibility of the Cardinals that the Packers probably felt leaving that field on December 27th. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I think this is the old Packer trick that's like sucking me back in is we just, you know, beat up on Washington and I just saw Arizona get whooped by somebody that we beat already this year. And, you know, the, the shine is kind of off them a little bit. And all of a sudden we're looking a whole lot better. They haven't played in a week mm-hmm. or at, by the time the game starts, they won't have played in two weeks. And it's just giving me this confidence that I feel is pretty dangerous as a Packer fan, but <laughs> you're, you're feeling good right now just mm-hmm. because you know that, you know, odds they're still against you, but you feel like you have an extra actually pretty darn good shot and then you're only two games away from a super bowl if you can somehow pull that off which uh, is insane oh i wish we would stop talking like this because i i wanted to be happy today and i am happy today but i'm like you i'm afraid to be excited about what could possibly happen and you know even today i was thinking about the arizona game and talking to myself like gosh arizona's so good and then i had this eureka moment like it's the freaking arizona cardinals <laughs> And it's, they have Carson Palmer at quarterback. He has one play and one start in the playoffs, and that one start was a freaking disaster when they got destroyed at home by a wild card Jets team. So, it's not like you're playing Tom Brady at Gillette Stadium. This is a team that doesn't have a lot of playoff success, and even though they have, you know, Bruce Arians and they've been doing some good things, it's not like Carson Palmer has this playoff pedigree that you should be terrified of. He's got nothing. The guy is, 36 years old and he started one playoff game and knocked out on the first play of the other one so he's going to be jittery whereas Aaron Rodgers is coming in from Carson Palmer's perspective probably looking like he's like Joe Montana or something with how many playoff games he's won yeah yeah and from their perspective I doubt they're too terrified of us right now even still after yesterday but you look at it we're the team that's done it they know that I mean Carson Palmer knows he's playing Aaron Rodgers it's got to be a little bit extra added pressure for a guy who just hasn't done that before yeah. Um, you know, I, I think our defense matches up really well against that offense. I think, like you said before, our offense basically gave them a whole bunch of points and gave them great field position in the last time. So if they don't do that, I, I really think they match up well. <laughs> After yeah. you see them shut down a group of receivers, you know, that's the Cardinal's strength is, is their receivers. Mm-hmm. You can do that again. It might be a low-scoring battle, but you, you give yourself a really, really good shot. Yeah, I know. I, I Let's forget the pre Everybody wants us to win, obviously, and we'll just say what we think, and who cares if it raises our expectations to a point that when we blow a giant lead and lose on Saturday, we're devastated. That's okay. That's part of the risk of being a fan. I, and I think we're so sick of feeling down on this team, too, that you just get yeah. a glimmer of hope, and it's all. I'm just grasping onto it. I don't care. I'm probably going to get my heart <laughs> but it's nice just to feel good about the team for the first time in a while. Yeah, and maybe that's where I'm at, too, and... and you're starting to believe a little bit, but maybe that's what this time of year is about. And I think we'll get into the other games, but seeing what happened to the Vikings, I'm almost a little bit giddy today that the Packers were able to win a game that a lot of people were thinking they were going to lose and then having that happen to the Vikings. And, you know, I I, kind of... I don't feel that great about it because I'm certainly no Seattle Seahawks fan, but it maybe gives you a little bit more of an appreciation that, hey, getting to the divisional round, even if it leads to a loss, is still pretty cool. Yeah, there's eight teams left, so that means that there's 24 sitting at home wishing where we were, or they were where we are right now, so it's impossible not to get excited about it when you're just, it's so close you can taste it. I mean, it's so far because you still have to beat three really, really good teams, but just thinking about that, like you see yourself only with two more games ahead of you after this one. Yeah. It's it's impossible as a sports fan to not get excited, and I guess what's the point if you're not getting excited about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... I guess I don't have a whole heck of a lot more to say about this game because I'm really waiting on next week to see what is real and what isn't. I feel like the defense is real, and once I looked today and I saw how few sacks the Cardinals had given up, and I was thinking, well, this pass rush isn't going to work, like I said, and then the Redskins had given up excuse me, the same number of sacks that the Cardinals had, then all of a sudden I started getting 
a lot more excited and thinking, wow, those Arizona weapons don't quite look as scary as the Redskin weapons do. And as good as Carson Palmer has been, uh, I don't know, other than this year, I mean, Kirk Cousins played as good as Carson Palmer has at his best. You know, not it's certainly short term, but you're not playing at the 1990s Cowboys or you're not playing in San Francisco against the Joe Montana 49ers. You're you're playing a team that has far less playoff experience than the guys we're going to bring to the to the field on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think if you're like going into Seattle or even going into Carolina for I would I would feel worse, but I guess out of the the teams remaining, this is probably the one I'd want another shot at. Yeah. Well, the thing with Carolina is they're sort of experienced, but I also feel like they're naive enough where they're not going to psych themselves out. Whereas when you have a guy like Carson Palmer, how could he not be a little bit tentative? This guy has certainly not been great, but he's been around a long, long time, and he's had seasons that were worthy of the kind of success he's having this year, and for whatever reason, it didn't quite work out. How can he not be a little bit tense going into to Saturday? And he could have a meltdown. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's it it's it's possible. It's more possible that he would have a meltdown than Cam Newton because if he's not got his mojo in the passing game, he can't run for first downs or find another way to get it done. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, it's not like he's young either. I mean, he's going to be getting close to the end of his career at some point. And he knows he's running out of chances, and this is probably the best one he's going to have ever again or that he's ever had so that that adds the pressure on for sure where i think right now we're feeling pretty loose and good yeah and so it's it's all kind of extra at this point and i i think the thing that i feel best about today regardless of how well they match up against arizona and if i had to put money on the line i still think the cardinals are going to win but i feel better about it than i did and I doubt they'll lose 38 to 8 again. I like the fact that that game is so close to the present in the fact that it's going to be fresh on their minds and a lot of the things that the Cardinals did to beat us is is going to be fresh on their minds. But the fact that this season kind of fell apart and they were able to salvage it and win a playoff game and Daniel Johnson brought up a point that I completely missed that this is the first time the Packers have won playoff games in back-to-back years since that five-year stretch in the heart of the Holmgren era when they had won consecutive playoff games from 1993 through 1997 they have not won back-to-back they have not won playoff games in back-to-back years since which amazed me at first but that's pretty awesome that they were able to do it and I guess another feather in the cap of this probably when it's all said and done going to be a very good yet largely unappreciated era of Packers football yeah that's so hard to believe that from 09 to now that we hadn't done that or in to 2013 that you kept losing those years and that's why all the frustration is built up and last year certainly didn't feel like we won any games after how it ended I kind of forgot that too but Mm -hmm. Yeah, or even in Sherman's time when they hosted a playoff game four years right. in a row. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's that's cool. So I guess we'll at least have that. We won a playoff game, and like you said, we got to the final eight. I don't know if we'll be able to get into it because it's one of the things where I always think of stats that I want to talk about, and this really is not the best forum to do a stat-heavy segment just because... You can't see what I'm seeing, and I'm a visual person, so I like to see charts and stuff in front of me. But I wanted to try to quantify um, the parity aspect of the NFL right now because they like to talk about how right now there's more parity than ever, and there might be because there's teams that get to stay in it longer. And then I'm looking at things like the number of teams that have gone to the divisional round in recent years because it it occurred to me that the Packers and Broncos and Seahawks and Patriots seem to go the divisional round every year and it's kind of crazy that in the past six seasons New England's gone to the divisional round six times Seattle Green Bay and Denver five Baltimore four Carolina and San Francisco three and just between Baltimore, Denver, and New England, that's over two-thirds of the AFC divisional round playoff slots. And now you have Green Bay, Seattle, and Carolina um, going to the divisional round in the NFC for the second straight year. And Green Bay has been there for you know five of the last six years, and Carolina three years in a row, Seattle four years in a row. So 
I don't know what to make of that because it's hard to quantify. But then you look at the 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 teams. It looks like, gosh, now I got to do math real quick. Four, eight, thirteen of the NFL teams have not gotten to the divisional round in the past six seasons. Which, if there was parity, you would think some of those would squeak in there. But I don't know what to make of that. But it's just. It's weird right now. It, it seems like there's parity, and then once we get to the final eight, it's the same teams it always is. Yeah, well, there's also that those like bottom eight teams, too, who are never even close as, as well, so that kind of makes it a little tougher to get the rest of those teams in there. But, you know, yeah, I agree. It's I mean, you see a lot of the same teams, maybe a little more parity in the NFC. It seems like the Cardinals and Panthers kind of swapped for, you know, the 49ers, and the Seahawks are still hanging around. But yeah, it's it was kind of nice to see over the past couple of days because you might find yourself maybe rooting for Houston or Cincinnati or Minnesota or whatever. But I'm I'm so glad we have the matchups we have now too. Like I'd much rather be watching Seattle against Carolina than the alternative, you know. Oh yeah, or, or Houston. Watch, you know, yeah, <laughs> or watching Houston in the divisional round. So I mean. It's fun to root for some of those underdogs, but I'm I'm pretty happy about some heavyweight fights this weekend. Yeah, and just on a side point, uh, I reference my nerdy hobbies of watching old games systematically, but I've been watching 1998 a lot, and I've been working my way through the 98 playoffs, and the thought that you just had, you get so caught up in the matchups and the rivalries and the teams you like and the teams you don't like, and so like you've said multiple times on this podcast that during the games we all get a little stupid and we just cheer for the underdog and then once the dust settles you realize that the matchups that have been created from that are matchups you don't particularly care to see <laughs> and i am thinking of that tons watching 1998 knowing how it ends so certainly the anxiety is not there and knowing that the atlanta falcons beating minnesota is one of the best games i've ever seen and one of my favorite memories but Gosh, would I love to see the 98 Broncos take on the 98 Vikings. <laughs> that would have been a heck of a game. And sure, it's awesome to see the Falcons win. And then we were cheering real hard for the Jets, but who the heck would want to see that game? Falcons, Jets, Super Bowl, yeah. Okay. Yeah, like who cares? Chris Chandler versus Vinny Testaverde? Like nobody wants to see that. And so we saw half of it, and it ended up being one of the most boring Super Bowls I ever watched. But uh, yeah, it. it if you took the rooting interest out of it and just looked at it as a football fan, we got four really good matchups in the divisional round. So let's talk about what created some of those divisional round matchups. And it's hard to know where to start with two of the more compelling playoff games we've ever seen. I guess let's stick in the NFC and talk about those poor Minnesota Vikings and Man, they have the awful playoff history that the Packers do without two Super Bowl oasises like we have. Yeah, so I... (laughs) Man, I don't know if you watched any of the clips, uh, tons of Facebook clips being shared in articles with reaction videos of Minnesota Vikings fans, and it was really funny as a Packer fan, um, but also I felt terrible for those people as fellow sports fans because it yeah. sucks to feel the way we felt last January. Yeah, the, the videos of people like crouching down and putting their heads in their hands, and it's like, I've totally been there, man. I feel you, like, having watched all the heartbreak we have. But like you said, we, we've dealt with that like they have, but we have gotten the Super Bowls. So they've dealt with the Brett Favre interception and then what happened yesterday and and losing us in the wild card round and none of the good to go along with it. It's got to really weigh on you as a sports fan. I, I like living so close to the border and having just have having gone to a Minnesota Wild games and the fans there were awful to us. So it's like yeah. inside I'm like yeah this is so great. <laughs> but I mean when you see some of these individual people you know they're not all terrible. You you do feel for them. Yeah and. Although, me being the, the Packer fan, it's the first thing I wanted to say was, well, at least you have that NFC North Champions hat, right? That That's, that's what right, matters. Enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just keep playing. I feel really bad for Blair Walsh because people are all over him, yeah. and they would have had zero points without him. Their offense played terrible. Adrian Peterson was completely shut down. Teddy Bridgewater, I'm sure he had a really high completion percentage, like always, you know, 150 Three-yard passes, like it seems that all their offense is dictated to do. Um, their their defense played okay, but then completely gave up some really boneheaded plays. So, man, it, it sucks that it had to happen to Seattle because 
I don't know. I, know. I wish it would have been Washington or something, and we would have beaten Seattle to a pulp yesterday, like we did the Redskins. Like, just swap those teams, and it would have been so sweet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, because Russell Wilson's elite, being the first uh, quarterback in 18 years to win a game scoring as little as 10, 10 points. points. Oh, I know. It's so frustrating. <laughs> he played elite this year, so it's hard to get on him, but yeah. ugh. It's, I'm just tired of it, but well, it, whatever. I mean, with that game and with the other games, too, they were all so weird. Like, our game was the most normal of the group, yeah. and then all the other three were so bizarre, and that one just being in that frigid cold, it just seemed to completely change everything, and I think that's what almost caught Seattle, is they couldn't run their offense the same. They just didn't look the same as they've looked, and Russell Wilson trying to play without gloves and stuff and it just yeah. I don't know it's got to be so hard to play in that weather it just throws if half of your team is feeling oh man I'm so cold I mean that throws you off your entire game yeah for sure and it it seems like that and uh, I don't know I, I would think those offenses are Seattle's offense is pretty good Minnesota's is not great but they're certainly better than 10 to 9 it, yeah. it didn't yeah. seem like transcendent defensive performances or anything watching the game um, but it certainly was interesting and uh, it was fun to watch the Minnesota Vikings fans in the pregame and some of the signs and in the week leading up to almost want to puff their chests out like, oh, you, you Packer fans and Bears fans have been making fun of us for being wusses, for being indoors for 30 years, and now we're going to show you how tough we are outside, and I'm sure all of them are very ready to move into the indoor confines yeah, of their new city. Now they're tucking tail and heading back indoors. <laughs> yeah, it turns out it's not much fun to go pay hundreds of dollars to watch your favorite team lose in negative five degree weather. Um, we've done that in the regular season, and it sucks. It's not fun at yeah. all. So, yeah, maybe I'm a little jealous of your giant new stadium, but uh, certainly we at least have the toughness points if that's worth anything at all. So Seattle moves on, which I'm sure none of the NFC, rest of the NFC playoff field was very happy about, but I still feel like this is a flawed team. They're They're so up and down, but... I've used the comparisons to the Dallas Cowboys dynasty many, many times with this team. They feel like the latter stages of the Dallas playoff teams, mainly 1996, where they still had a really good defense. Their offense could explode and then be non-existent. You feel like when they're at their best, they're still probably the best team in the league, but they're not at their best very often. Mm -hmm. um, is that a fair assessment, you think? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say so for sure. So let's flip to two teams that didn't, look their best at all and that was the Saturday night game I I don't even know how to explain it it was perfectly slotted on Saturday night although it should have been on HBO with Jim Lampley yeah. and Roy Jones calling it because that was crazy I don't even know where to start with describing yeah, I've that. never seen a game like that and we've been watching football a long time and that was about the most testy I've ever seen and the first half was so boring and I was like damn yeah. it I just watched that whole 30 to nothing Kansas City blowout yeah and now I've got another it looks like it's going to be a slow blowout here yeah and then all of a sudden the second half it turned around and I was on the edge of my seat the whole time just because you knew something weird was going to happen and it kept happening mm -hmm. and I mean, obviously with Munchak, like, grabbing Reggie Nelson by the dreads and, like, oh. tossing him aside and yeah. all these hits and Rothsburg getting hurt and then for it to climax like that with two stupid plays by the two guys on the field you would expect to do it, that leads to a loss. I mean, that was just unbelievable. It it sucks for to be a Bengals fan, I'm sure, but it was a lot of fun as a neutral person to watch that. <laughs> yeah, they showed a, speaking of fans you feel bad for, they showed an older lady in the crowd, like, crying and... uh yeah, I, I felt terrible. I felt terrible for her, but then on the other side, I've never seen... We've had tremendous rivalries with the Vikings and with the Bears and stuff over the years, and I can't speak to when those Forrest Gregg Packer teams played those Mike Ditka Bear teams, because I wasn't around for those. But I've never seen an opposing team's fans throw stuff at the injured star of the other team as he's carted off the field. And to throw bottles at different stuff... It's completely unacceptable, and the way that Burfecht responded and Adam Jones responded was awful, and they deserved those, and had they won, they should have been uh, fined and suspended for the future playoff games. But on the flip side, if Joey Porter coaches on Sunday, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. What the hell is he doing on the field? And he's a guy they should be watching because he was the Burfecht of his era. Yeah, yeah, he was. So everybody knows to expect that kind of stuff from him, and... I think that the hit uh, by Shazier on Giovanni Bernard should have been flagged. I don't care if he was a runner. You can't square up the crown of your helmet and hit a guy under his face mask. That has been a penalty since 1985. 
So I don't know where that came from and why these referees were not able to call this thing consistently. They were lucky that it looked like the Ben Roethlisberger injury was uh, an accident. It looked like a pretty clean play. But I think that ultimately the responsibility with this game falls on Marvin Lewis, but Mike Tomlin as well. I'm tired of those AFC North teams. So I'm going to, Cleveland's worthless, so I, they don't really seem to be a part of this, but John Harbaugh can be included into that as well. They coach their teams like football is literal war. That if you're not wearing a Steelers or Bengals or Ravens uniform, that you're my mortal enemy for the next three hours. And no wonder you get a bunch of guys that start feeling that way to play like a bunch of idiots who are going to take liberties. And it, the fact that it was in prime time, they knew that this was going to happen. And I think they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. On one side, we want to suspend everybody. And on the other side, it was the highest rated we've ever had in that time slot. So I'm sure they're sort of happy, but... For a neutral, that is the kind of game that makes sports, non-sports fans convinced in their hatred of sports to see a bunch of guys that do that in a setting which essentially amounts to people in colorful plastic trying to move a rubber ball over a, or a, a leather ball over a designated line painted on a piece of grass. And it probably looks like absolute idiotic insanity to somebody who doesn't like sports. Yeah, maybe. It was so much fun to watch, though. I guess I don't want to like tell them to stop. I guess I've always kind of enjoyed those Steelers-Ravens games, too. So, But I, where's I the line, I guess I'm saying? And and I'm saying if you're trying to use that to get new fans, you might get some, like the bloodthirsty fans. that. Yeah, like the UFC fans coming in. Yeah, exactly. Like them or the ones who jumped on the wrestling bandwagon when people were going through flaming tables in the 90s. I mean, that type of fan will come. But... You know, there's not much more or many more markets the the NFL can reach. And I'm just thinking, I'm thinking of the women fan base who they're trying to cater to with a month of pink stuff that they're selling. What are they thinking when people are going out there and they're they're getting sold as this is a nice, thoughtful game with thoughtful people, and then these people are going out there and acting like complete thugs? Yeah. I don't know. I got nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I I threw a lot of points your way, but yeah. I think that it's, you know... To your point, I I would not want my team coached that way, and I think that it's probably a mistake for those guys to be coaching their players like that, but I I thought it was fun. I mean, it, it gets old when you see it constantly, but for one playoff game to be a knockout, dragout fight like that, I... I I was cool with that, I guess. Well, and maybe that's where I need to state myself better because I was cool with it too. <laughs> it was one of it's one of the most memorable games I've seen. It's and it's it's an instant classic. I love boxing, and I like the UFC, and I love pro wrestling. I mean, stupid stuff where people are in a predetermined and in a natural way are beating each other to a pulp. But the thing maybe that rubbed me the wrong way and that rubs me the wrong way whenever these incidents happen is it, it it's what rubs me the wrong way when you get these tough baseball teams where you have guys throwing at other guys. Yeah. Because it's such a chicken, one-sided affair. Because these receivers have to go up into the ball. There's no receiver that is going to be able to not run their route and just go and try to beat somebody up. The defense is basically teeing off on a helpless opponent. Maybe helpless is a strong word, but an opponent that really isn't in a position to A, defend themselves, or B, retaliate. If you're in a boxing match or a UFC and you try to take liberties, that's fine because the other guy's on equal footing and he can do it right back. And so to me, when you have guys taking advantage of offensive players that are just trying to play the game and are really in no position to where they can actually turn and fight you, it's the equivalent of throwing the ball at the head of a guy who has no choice but to stand in the batter's box and wait for it to hit him. So that's where I get a problem with it. Well, and I I think it goes a lot to do with the guys that are on these teams, too. I mean, it's not like Adam Jones has never been in trouble before, and nobody thought he was a great dude. Yeah. It's, it, it's kind of funny, because at the time of the draft, when Perfect, I think it was two years ago, he was going forever back in the draft. He had been one of the best linebackers in college, and I was like, man, I wish the Packers would just take a flyer on him. And even going into the whole week, I kept hearing about how good he was playing, and I was like, man, I wish they would have just picked him up. And then to see him play so good, and then to do that at the end, I was like, oh, now, now I remember why the Packers do what they do and never seem to take these guys on, mm-hmm. because they both of those guys combined. You couldn't have called it any better or made a better example of how to build a proper team with good stand-up guys. They both just cost their team the game from stupid mistakes. 
everybody else was being physical but kept a level head except mm-hmm. for those two, really. Yeah, and Burfecht would have been the hero. He had the game-clinching yeah. interception. Now Jeremy Hill fumbled. sacks and big plays, and then he just threw it all away with one dumb play. <laughs> yeah. So, unbelievable. And, man, we talk about what it must be like to be a Vikings fan. What is it like to be a Cincinnati Bengals fan right yeah, now? awful. Yeah, they haven't won anything. They haven't even won a single playoff game. Forget championships. They haven't won a single playoff game since you and I were three years old. I mean, that's insanity. Boomer Esiason was in his 20s when they won. And they've been around it, too. Here, I know they were battle in the 90s, but for the last decade, they've been competitive and to still not get any playoff wins. at 0-7 under Marvin Lewis, that's got to hurt. Do you think they should consider making a coaching change? They said they aren't, are not going to, and granted, that wouldn't be the first time somebody said that and then did it anyways, but do you think they should consider a coaching change? That's got to be the toughest decision because, I mean, you've stuck by this guy for so long, and every year it's the same kind of thing. It's, there's something weird that happens, so y- you cut out those dumb penalties, and you have your starting quarterback, and you win that game. Yeah. And so they're, they're, they have to be thinking, you know, we would have beaten Pittsburgh, and then we get to roll into, you know, wh- wherever and, and play in the AFC Divisional round game, and they're right there. They've got the team in place to do it, but for whatever reason, every year something seems to happen that holds them back. So I, yeah. I don't know. I, I guess I would say uh, I would say no, but just because I don't know who you hire in his place and you feel so close, you hate to just blow it up. Yeah, it's it's the hardest one of all of these. And I have talked many times on this podcast about how much I favor stability and I admire the teams that commit to stability. And you've seen what's happened to some of these franchises who have hastily made coaching changes. But on the flip side, he's been there for 13 years. Next year will be his 14th year, and like you, yeah. And and if if weird stuff happens all the time, then it's not weird anymore. I think to a degree. Yeah. But you know, he didn't tell Andy Dalton to try to make a tackle and break his thumb on one of the weirdest interceptions of the season. And like you said, not only do they probably win that game with Dalton, they're probably not in it because they close out Denver, and they're waiting for the wild card round to be over to have their first game. So. Yeah, it's tough, and they've talked about maybe hiring Hugh Jackson, but is is he far enough away from the culture to really change it if you think that the problem is that these guys are undisciplined and that's what's costing them all of these playoff games? Well, then why hire the offensive coordinator that's been with them, what, on two different occasions? Or or I don't know. I, I can't remember where he was before the Raiders. But either way, he's an assistant head coach. He's the offensive coordinator. So if you wanted to change Mike McCarthy's culture, you wouldn't hire Joe Philbin or hire Tom Clements to be the head coach, you know what I mean? And at the same time, though, I think their GM's name is, is Mike Brown, right? I mean, yeah. he's – you can say what you want about discipline, but I, I think, you know, other than Burfitt here and there, this team had been very well in line throughout the year. I don't think Marvin Lewis is going in and telling him to hurt people. No. And, I mean, he's just been laid out with a team that constantly has these guys on it that have been a problem. And it, it went fine throughout most of the game, and all of a sudden when it mattered and things got physical, they couldn't handle themselves anymore. Yeah. So, is I mean, is that really Marvin Lewis's fault? Is he supposed to go to them probably and say, hey, don't be dumb here? But in that kind of heat of the battle, I don't think that would have mattered for either of those two guys. I mean, they're no. two of the biggest problem guys in the whole league. Well, and he's got more of a mo- more out of those guys than anybody has. Yeah. And it's really resurrected their franchise that they have taken on this talent that nobody else would have. And... Maybe on the flip side is he's found a way to get a lot out of them and control them. And, you know, if, if you're going to play with fire, you might get burned, but it'll keep you warm as well. And and that's what's happened with these guys. So, yeah, um, if it was as easy as just grabbing somebody else and plopping them in there, but if you don't have Marvin there, maybe these guys would just go completely off the rails and you'd have yeah. a full-blown disaster on your hands. So I don't know, that's really tough, but much more interesting was that 30 to nothing Kansas City win over the yeah, Houston Yeah, that was pick. terrible. It's like almost not even worth talking about. Brian Hoyer was just so bad, and it just, from the get-go, was, I mean, they returned the opening kickoff. How much more uh, of a <laughs> yeah. decisive way can you start a blow off than that? Yeah, and have you seen some of the reaction of Houston Texans fans towards yeah, Brian Hoyer? Yeah, stupid. It, it, much the same as the Blair Walsh thing, too. Yeah. I mean, fans... I, I feel like, and you read these things, they're all like misspelled, and you feel like these people are just idiots. You would think that. Yeah. I, 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 you hate to relate yourself to to sports fans like this because there's so many out there. But uh, yeah, I mean, stupid. I hopefully none of our listeners are like that, and I I don't think they they are. But yeah. if anything happens to any Packers fan, 
players or anything like that, please do not threaten <laughs> wish they would die, or you want something to happen to them. It's just the stupidest. Well, I didn't pay close of an, enough of attention, but I, I would be willing to bet that some of that was directed towards Brandon Bostic last year. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't hear much of that either in the local news or anything, but I'm sure it was. Well, and you know, Twitter and comments underneath articles are probably the lowest common denominator of sports fans. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It's it sucks, and I, I felt bad for Hoyer. He was awful, and they played J.J. Watt at quarterback with all of the other defensive linemen in at tight end, and at first I'm like, why the heck would you do that? Sometimes they're just trying too hard, and then I saw the way Hoyer played the rest of the game, and I'm like, well, maybe you should try that formation a few more times and let him throw out of it <laughs> and take your chances. But, yeah, for those fans, and granted, I'm sure it's an incredibly small percentage of Houston Texans fans, but... Did you have a lot of money on a Houston Texans yeah. Super Bowl run? Because if so, you clearly are pretty fair weather because you didn't pay attention this season because that team wasn't going anywhere. They were lucky no, to be there. I, I think the one thing you can say, though, is that they needed to get Hoyer out of that game much earlier than he was, not only for the betterment of the team but for him. I mean, he clearly didn't have it right from the start. He looked awful. He couldn't hit a throw. And you just kind of let him out there to die. And apparently... Um, the receivers were asking the coaches to get him out of the game because they could just tell he was going to cost them the game and he was just off for some reason that day. Yeah, you're going to go to Brandon Whedon? I mean, he won you two games, and it's not much better, but at least, I mean, you can visually see that he's not there today and that Hoyer's not there. It's not like it's Rodgers where you let him ride it out. This guy hadn't been playing very much. He's been concussed twice this year. That's true. you just kind of leave them out there. I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty poor by the coaching staff. Well, at the very least, it gets your, the rest of your team to believe that maybe there's a chance at a spark. Um, but yeah, switching out Whedon for Hoyer or Hoyer for Whedon feels a little bit. You got a car that's overheating, so let's drive this one with three flat tires. You know, <laughs> it, it doesn't really do much for you either way, but. All right, so real quickly, uh, let's talk about the next round games, which, as we mentioned earlier, are pretty interesting. And let's start in the AFC, where the Kansas City Chiefs winning their first playoff game since 1994. And I thought this was going to be the... uh, It was funny because the last team the Chiefs had beaten were the Houston Oilers, and the last team Cincinnati's beaten were the Houston Oilers. So perhaps if they bring back the Houston Oilers, they can get some of these uh, feudal teams to... uh, to start winning some playoff games. Somehow the Jacksonville Jaguars would start winning playoff games in Cleveland yeah. and all that jazz. But um, So Kansas City looks pretty good. Uh, they look really solid, and I'm curious to see what they can do in New England, especially now that it sounds like Jeremy Macklin had the biggest scare ever and it was just a high ankle sprain. Now, granted, those can linger, but at least he, he didn't blow out his knee for the third time. Yeah, and I think that's a big factor in this game, too. I want to pick Kansas City so bad. I mean... New England's lost to some teams that, you know, like Philly and, and the Jets at the end of the year with a good defense like KC has, and I think Kansas City's got a better offense than, than any of those right now. But if, I mean, if Macklin doesn't play, and even if he plays a high ankle sprain, it's not something you can play with after a week unless it's very minor. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's hard to believe that, you know, Brady and Gronk and Amendola, and I'm not sure if Edelman's playing yet, but it's just, it's hard to believe that they can't get enough going. I, I, I think it's going to be a really good game, but I think I, Unfortunately, I have to stick with the Pats. Yeah, uh, Brady is 8-1 and one at home in the divisional round, so it's hard to pick against him. Um, yeah, Kansas City, though, is the kind of team that has... The, the, the one that has beaten Tom Brady at home in the divisional round was the Jets, and this team reminds me a lot of the 2010 yeah, Jets. For the, sure. Their defense is not as good, but their offense is much better. And... That Houston Texans defense is better than New England's, and granted, when there's no threat of offense, even the best defenses of all time look pretty bad, but still, um, Alex Smith, for whatever reason, he's like such a bore in the regular season, and in the playoffs, he just seems a little bit more willing to take chances downfield. Yeah, I agree. I'm just thinking back to that 49ers divisional round game, was it against the Saints? I yeah. Think? In that, that playoff run they had when they lost to the Giants. I mean, he was awesome then, and he like never does that in the regular season, except for maybe at, towards the end of the year this year. But, yeah, he looked really good again. Yeah, and just on a really quick side note, watching him play against Houston, usually with red zone and with all the different channels, you're kind of channel surfing or you have you know different setups. and So you're seeing a ton of games. You don't just get to sit and focus on one game and give it all your attention like you can when the playoffs are here. But finally doing that with Alex Smith – 
it is not a mystery why he was picked ahead of Aaron Rodgers. And Rodgers is a much, much better player. It was still the wrong choice. But holy cow, is he a good athlete. And is he very accurate with the ball. And now, granted, there was no way to know that Aaron Rodgers would just have a much stronger propensity to throw down the field and to be one of the most accurate of all time. But if you had to just watch game film on both of those guys running around in the pocket, I could see why they picked Alex Smith ahead of him. Yeah, right. You're just going off college tape. That's what you see. It's it see by all physical attributes they can throw the same, but Alex Smith was just that much more athletic. So I, I guess you can't be surprised. But, yeah, we got the better end of it, but he's he's finally kind of coming into his own, it looks like. Yeah, absolutely. So I will agree and pick New England, but definitely this feels like, of the two AFC games, the most likely for an upset. Yeah. Um, especially, as we'll talk about the other AFC game, uh, which will be on Sunday afternoon, the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Denver Broncos. Peyton Manning has been named the starter for the Broncos, and the Steelers are the walking wounded right now. Antonio Brown was knocked silly in that terrible play by Perfect. Ben Roethlisberger, you know, wrecked his shoulder. He was gone for a while. We don't know what's going on with D'Angelo Williams. So potentially this could be a great game, or it could be an absolute snoozer. Although, some, I'm still... Not trusting of Peyton Manning that he's above losing to even uh, Landry Jones at home in the playoffs with his playoff history. Yeah, this is a weird one to pick for me, and I, I think I'll go with Denver just because this Steelers offense since Roethlisberger got back has really been kind of stagnant for like three straight weeks now. They haven't looked very good, and they're going against a Denver defense, which is much better than they've played, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't trust the Broncos' offense much, and you could definitely foresee Roethlisberger going crazy and if Brown plays, still having a really good game. I just... They they just haven't done much on offense, so I guess I, I think Denver can at least do enough with their good defense. Yeah, I think Pittsburgh is banged up, like you said, and... Uh, they really don't have that good of a team outside of that really good offense. Um, they have a pretty good rushing defense, which is certainly going to help against Denver, but I just want to look this up real quick. So Denver, man, they ran for 210 yards. They've rushed for 100, and, wow, they've ran for a lot of yards in recent weeks. So I could see they don't have a great rushing attack overall, but since the bye week they've been rushing for quite a bit. Uh, they had one stinker against the Raiders when they played pretty badly all across the board, but... They have a good team. They're a much more well-rounded team than the Pittsburgh Steelers are, so especially not knowing the status of a lot of Pittsburgh's only playmakers, i got to pick the Broncos as well. Um, real quick side conversation before we get to the NFC and kind of wrap up. It was weird at first, but then kind of cool that each of the four broadcast outlets for the NFL got a chance to have a game, and you got to watch them all back-to-back, so... Um, and it was kind of cool for old school fans to have ABC have a game and NBC have an afternoon game for the first time since 1997. So, well, um, at a noon game, they've had the wild card 4:30 game for a number or 3:30 game for a number of years. But my question is, seeing them all in rapid fire, which is your favorite network to watch football on, and what's your favorite elite commentary team? Oh man, that's really tough. Oh man, I let's see here. Who did the CBS one? Was that Phil Sims and and Nance? Yeah, Nance. I really don't like them. I, uh, I don't mind Buck and Aikman. It, it for some reason it always seems probably just because we watch the Sunday night and Monday night games on them that the NBC and the ESPN games seem bigger. Yeah. Uh, I I love Al Michaels though. I don't really care for Collinsworth that much, but I really I think he's the best lead. But I think the ESPN team overall is maybe the best. Oh man, that's tough. I, I'll, I'll go with uh, ESPN. I think they're they're so good at the production part of it and everything. It just seems like a big game every time they play some. I cannot stand that bar they've been using this year that disappears once the play starts. Huh, I haven't even noticed. Oh, that. it's horrible. So I guess you won't notice it now. But every time the play starts, the scoreboard goes away, and I think they're trying to give you like a full view of this the field. But to me, it's just distracting. I just notice the thing going away, and then a lot of times I want to know if it's third down or whatever. Apparently, my I have a goldfish memory that I can't remember from the snap to the start of the play. But, yeah, I, that's a little pet peeve. I love Gruden because he's the closest thing we have in the modern NFL to John Madden. I know people kind of make fun of Madden now and his idiosyncrasies and with the video game and stuff, but uh, he's still probably my favorite commentator that we've ever had. And Gruden is the most like him, and he seems to get the most joy out of watching football, which is kind of what we all share and why we're watching it so much. Um, I, I like Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. I feel a little bit different that to me, 
the Fox games always feel bigger. And I, I feel like Buck and Aikman are the best big game commentators. They may yeah, not have, yeah, and, and Buck especially. I think Al Michaels is the best play by play guy, but Joe Buck just is great at calling a big game. And I think it's because he just doesn't say as much <laughs> and he really lets the, the action talk for itself, which I've always really appreciated. So I still think I like Fox the best. Uh, it, so if I had to, to mix it together, I really like Joe Buck. I really like John Gruden. I don't know how they would work together, but I'd be curious to hear it. And I like, for whatever reason right now, I'm really liking the NFL Today or the ESPN Countdown guys the best. I, I can't, the Fox guys, I still like them because they've been around so long, but I really never watch them because they're all kind of old and weird and never have good yeah. points. <laughs> I think that's what kind of takes away from the actual game production for me from Fox is I just think about that gross like pregame that they have and I just yeah. it makes me like not want to watch it at all like have to watch old Terry Bradshaw and Jimmy Johnson be weird and like I don't know and Kurt yeah. Menefee is your lead it's just not very impressive and I think it just kind of hurts the actual game for me. Kurt Menefee seems like the biggest dweeb on earth like. Yeah. He never seems like he thinks these jokes are the funniest, and he never seems to take a joke when like Riggle or Frank Calienda would make fun of him. And I think he's fine as a straight man, but he's he's no JB, that's for sure. Right. I think. And I hate the Football Night in America crew so much. I can't watch them with with. I like Dan Patrick's radio show, but Dungey and Harrison and Patrick together are just they they're boring. And when they actually get a reaction out of me, it's usually just exasperation for how stupid their points were. All right, moving on to the NFC, we have the Seattle Seahawks playing against the Carolina Panthers in what should be a heck of a game. How do you see this one going? Yeah, it should be really, really good. Um, You're kind of splitting hairs here. It could go either way. Really identical teams. I guess I'll I'll take Carolina. They're at home. I mean, it's going to be huge there. The crowd's going to be nuts. And I I think they're probably just still a little bit better than Seattle at this point, especially ever after having seen them only put up 10 points yesterday, I, I guess I gotta sway with Carolina right now. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with you. Carolina has a defense that is almost as good as Seattle's, and their offense is much, much better. Uh, the highest scoring team in the NFL, and they can run the ball really well, and I, I just think I'm buying into the Cam Newton hype at this point. I feel like he can do so many things against a defense that it's hard to stop at all. And at home, he seems to have an energy about him that the rest of his teammates really latch onto. And I think that's going to be enough to derail the Seahawks reign as NFC champs. Well, and you look at what the Seahawks' strength are. I mean, Marshawn Lynch, who knows? He's probably not going to play. So you're down to your fourth and fifth running backs. And although Doug Baldwin's been awesome, they put Josh Norman on him, and he's going to get shut down. I mean, yeah, he's been – Doug Baldwin's playing great, but for all the great receivers that Norman's seen lately, that's going to seem like a cakewalk for him. So mm-hmm. you've got to find a way to get, you know – curse and all these other guys involved to try to make plays against an otherwise really good defense i think that's going to be really tough yeah that's a really great point that's everything that it it almost is like we were analyzing the packers and cowboys last year and granted that was a really close game but everything that the seahawks do well carolina does equally well and seahawks the weaknesses seattle have are also strengths of carolina it's uh, like last year when the Packers were matching up with Dallas, everything they do well, we do better. And that's kind of a recipe for loss in my book. All right, and the big one, the Green Bay Packers taking on the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, from what I've seen amongst other fans, it seems like no one is expecting the Green Bay Packers to win. And as we mentioned earlier, the Vegas line agrees with them. So anywhere between a touchdown and eight and a half points underdog are the Green Bay Packers. Um I am hopeful. That's the word I've been using to anybody who's asked me about it. That's what I used on Twitter. I am hopeful that the Packers are able to make the adjustments and to maybe make a game out of this and maybe steal it. I don't expect... I've seen so many people sharing that stupid um, side-by-side comparison between 2010 and 2015 because of the different coincidences of who they've played in the playoffs. They did not lose to Arizona on a last-second field goal in a game in which they fumbled the ball at the one-yard line. Yeah, they got slaughtered. They got slaughtered. This is not the same. They're not going to beat them 48-21, to I don't think. Um... I'm hopeful they can make a game of it. I all but guarantee they will not lose by 30, but I don't think they're going to win. 
Yeah, I'm unfortunately on board with you, and I, I think had you asked me before, like, 3 o'clock yesterday, I would have said they had no shot here, but I'm at least feeling a glimmer of hope here, and I think they can do it, I really do, but I, I just don't think the odds are great that they will. I, I mean, like you said, you got blown out before, it's the exact same team, basically, you'd hope to get closer, and I think they will, like you said, but I don't think they can make up that much in the points difference. Mm-hmm. I, I just think Arizona's a lot better than you are right now. Rodgers was still a little shaky yesterday, even though the offense played better overall. I think you get in a hole early if Arizona puts up some big plays and doesn't shoot themselves in the foot as much as Washington did yesterday. I mean, you're in trouble right from the get-go. So yeah. I, I think it'll be a close game, but I, I think they will lose this one. And if there's any comfort for Packer fans listening to this, I have been terrible picking anything. Um, I've been picking college games with my boss. I've been picking different things. I've even been asked to pick one game the whole week, and I still have been getting that wrong over the last eight weeks. So if I pick the sun to come up tomorrow morning, I'm sure the earth will be jettisoned from the solar system sometime before tomorrow morning. So you don't have to take a lot of stock in what I think, um, but I think a lot of people are agreeing with us, unfortunately. Or, or, yeah, I mean, we both picked against Green Bay against Washington, and we were wrong, so let's just hope that that trend continues. If this happens again, we'll just keep picking against them the whole rest of the way and hope that somehow that gives us some karma. That that must be what it takes, right? It's just yeah, well, let's do it. I'll pick against them every game if I have to. What we say on here means little compared to what we want to see on the field. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, so while we're in the picking mood, and we're going to try to wrap this up as soon as we can, uh, by the way, I just got a text alert that Vontez Perfect suspended for the first three games of the next uh, season. I don't imagine him winning an appeal on that no, one. I don't think so. Tonight, the College Football National Championship game, Arizona, that, definitely not Arizona, uh, Alabama taking on Clemson. I believe it is in Arizona, though, so at least I'm right uh, in that capacity. Who do you like in this game? That's a tough one, too. I, I mean, it's it seems like the smart move to pick with Alabama, but I just, I don't know. I think Clemson's defense is good enough to slow them down, and I, it seems like I pick against the SEC every year, and I'm sure it's just wishful thinking, but I think I'll roll with it again. I think uh, Deshaun Watson can do enough on offense to, to beat them, so I think it'll be an awesome game, but I'm going to pick Clemson. They yeah. could very well just get absolutely destroyed, though, too. I wouldn't be shocked. Well, and I guess I'm picking a little bit from a position of ignorance because of the SEC national contract, I see so many more Alabama games than I do ACC games. And so when you're watching Alabama, they just look huge and overpowering, and they destroyed a Wisconsin defense that, even when tested against a pretty good Pac-10 offense, showed themselves to be very legit as a defense, and they just got steamrolled by Alabama. But on the flip side, Clemson has been scoring a ton of points, and they look really fast, but it's... It's one of those, it's, I guess it's kind of that dream matchup where it's kind of speed versus might a little bit. And you hear for years that the SEC has these big, fast, they have such fast defenses and they're so fast and powerful. And then Ohio State made them look silly last year. So I, I think I'm going to pick Alabama, but I could very well be wrong just because I haven't seen enough Clemson games from beginning to end. I'm hopeful Clemson wins because I'm, I'm tired of the SEC is king talk by every outlet that talks college football. So it would be nice to have another non-SEC champion for the third year in a row. Yeah. Uh, one other note. This is a uh, programming one that was brought to our attention by Daniel Johnson, and he did want us to talk about this a little bit, um, but we won't talk a ton. The NFL Network is airing Super Bowl One on Friday, and they're calling it the the Lost Super Bowl. The original story was that Super Bowl One was televised on both NBC and CBS because NBC had the AFL contract and CBS had the NFL contract, and they couldn't come up with a solution as to who should show it. So they showed it on both networks, and back in the day, there was not perceived to be any value in rebroadcasts or in any kind of tape library so the story goes that both networks either destroyed or taped over their copies of super bowl one and for years there were no master tapes of it and so i'm curious to see how they've pieced this back together i'm hoping it's not a documentary um on the guide it was three hours long so i'm hopeful that it has mostly game footage that they've been able to find but i'm really excited about that what time is that do you know it's going to be seven o'clock on friday on the NFL Network. Okay, awesome. So 
uh, Daniel, I don't have much more to say about that other than I'm really excited. It should be fun to see in color uh, Lombardi's, one of Lombardi's best teams, probably his second best team, uh, take on a Hall of Fame-laden Kansas City Chiefs game in the first Super Bowl ever. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, and we did ask for some comments on the Facebook page. Daniel Johnson was able to leave a comment on that as well. He said the Packers played the best game since the first game against the Vikings. He also had some... I asked for just any other thoughts, so he rapid-fire sent them our way. The Bengals blew it with their emotions. Marvin Lewis should be fired. His team's not disciplined. Um, instead of trying to get more teams in the playoffs, the NFL should leave it as it is. The Texans didn't deserve to be there. The Vikings fans should stop blaming Blair Walsh. Um... It was nice to see the Packers get consecutive playoff wins. So we talked about most of those things. Um, I'll really briefly comment that it feels like the chatter about adding more playoff teams has gone away in recent years, and I'm very happy about that. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I guess I was leaving you to comment there, but there's really not much else to say. You agree with me, right? Yeah, I agree. Okay, and uh, that's about it. Uh, I have some interesting... I want to eventually talk about the move to Los Angeles because we are both pretty big Charger fans, and we missed the the idea that they might have played their last game in San Diego, but we'll talk about that once it's ironed out a little bit more who might be moving and some of the proposals in place, and we talked a lot already, so I'll let you go watch the national championship game, Matt, and myself, and if you're somehow listening to this incredibly quickly, hopefully uh, if you're able to listen to an hour show in about 20 minutes, congratulations to you, and you can watch the national championship game as well, so um, real quickly, if you want to interact with the show, the Green and Gold Forever podcast on Facebook. Hit us up at Green Gold Forever on Twitter. That's the number four. Complete archives and new episodes, greengoldforever.podbean.com. And because the Packers won, we will once again be going to KZ Radio next Friday for the Green and Gold Forever preview. That's 92.9 in Appleton and the Fox Cities, 104.3 in Green Bay, anywhere in the world at mykzradio.com. You'll hear a bunch of great hits from the 80s and 90s, and you'll hear what I have to say about the game in a much more condensed format than I just delivered it here. So check all those things out. Go Pack. Hopefully we're wrong, and they shock the world and beat the Arizona Cardinals. Take care, everyone.